everyone. This is Stephanie Krupsack with the Person and Planet podcast. With me today, I have Alex Tink. Alex is the founder and CEO of Fork Farms, an indoor hydroponic farming installation company where he continues to work hard to reinvent the global food system to accelerate local access to fresh food and inspire healthier living for all. So thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's get started with a little bit about your background in hydroponics and food production. Yeah, that uh, that sounds great. So my my background, believe it or not, has nothing to do with what I'm currently doing. Um, my my degrees in classical music. So I was a uh, uh, training to be an opera singer and actually got hired out of school uh, to sing for a, a company on a uh, a young artist residency, is what it's called, and it meant I had to move to New York City. And when I was in New York, I randomly met a guy who was growing food on a rooftop in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And I had never heard of urban farming before. I had never heard of, you know, hydroponics really before. I mean, I knew kind of generally what it was, but had never seen it in action. And so I just out of curiosity decided to go visit this little farm. And it ended up being this amazing little oasis in the middle of the city where um, they were growing all this food, you know, it was overlooking the Manhattan skyline. And being from Wisconsin originally, I just, I really liked the idea of getting outside for that summer. And um, I was really struck when I moved to New York by how in your face poverty is. Um, you see people on the streets, you see lines, you know, for the soup kitchens and the food pantries. And um, yeah, I grew up a little insulated in that regard. And it, it really had an impact on me. And, and at this farm, all the food that they were growing was going to feed a food pantry that was on the first floor of the same building. So I thought, what a cool ecosystem, little microcosm right in the middle of the big city. They're feeding people the super fresh food. Um, and I decided I was going to volunteer for a couple months. I was between gigs and um, had a couple months off. And what ended up happening is at the end of the summer, they said, hey, you're a starving artist. You look like you could use some extra food. Why don't you bring some of this home? <laughs> and eat it and so i took them up on it and ended up uh, eating all this food that i had grown and it completely changed my eating habits um ended up really transforming my life at the time i i started feeling a lot better because i was eating better i started taking better care of myself it helped me actually get some through some depression anxiety stuff i had going on at the time and just fundamentally sent me down a different path. And it was such a big deal for me that I was like, man, I got to help other people do this. And to this day, that's still what Fork Farms is all about. We're really at our core um, about engaging people in growing fresh food with the hope that that leads them to want to eat it. And because we think that food is really powerful and we think that um, there's all sorts of benefits that come from, you know, building a, a better food system. Definitely. That's a really great story. <laughs> Many say that you're more connected with the food if you grow it yourself. So whether you have your own garden and you're then cooking with that food or you visit a local garden and you see where it's coming from, it just makes that connection so much better and you take more pride in what you're eating. And really the healthy stuff I think tastes better too. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Especially when you grow it yourself, it's like your you know cherry tomatoes that come out of your garden for some reason just taste so much better. Or I think it applies to other things beyond food too. Like um, you know, if you care about your car, you're more likely to give it an oil change. If you you know fix up your house a bunch, you're more likely to live there a little longer. Like I just think that when we put our sweat equity into things, when we put our blood, sweat, and tears, for whatever reason, you build this emotional connection with it. And I think um, that emotional connectivity can be a really strong vehicle for social change. I think we can really use that in a healthy way and help people eat better, not because the doctor's telling them that they have to, but because they really want to, because they had this experience. Yeah, I really love that, how the organization you worked with in New York, that they grew food for food shelters too. And um, as a kid in the Green Bay area, I grew up going with my grandparents to the soup kitchens where we'd go there and cook and we would serve meals um, to homeless individuals, individuals that needed extra food. And sometimes what they'd have there, I'm like, this isn't healthy. Like a lot of the donated things were boxed or canned or yeah. So I think that's really great that you're making that a priority because that is extremely important. And yeah, everybody should have the opportunity to eat a little bit healthier. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, before before this, um, worked for Feeding America, which is a national hunger relief organization in the U.S. And um, great organization, but it's it's hamstrung a little bit just because the majority of the food that they get donated comes from retail. You know, their largest donor is Walmart and Walmart's the largest grocery store chain by volume in in the country. And um, nothing against Walmart. I think all of that activity is great and it's incredibly meaningful, but you're always getting stuff that's either shelf stable or it's right at the end of its life. And so to get fresh food through that system is a real challenge. And and there's a lot of food banks out there that are doing creative things, you know, trying to engage with local farmers, trying to um, engage with, um, you know, systems like ours where they actually start growing their own food. But, um, but it's really limited because our food system is just so, it's so built to, serve at such a massive industrialized scale and there's so little decentralization of food food has to travel so far to get from seed to plate right now that it just it creates this this just fundamental shelf life challenge where you know to get fresh food to the people that really need it the most is it's almost impossible at scale right now Mm -hmm. yeah i know the term a food desert comes up a lot of times too where you might have you know, a few stores here and there, but there's not a lot of um, of that fresh food being available. I know when I lived in Milwaukee, there was an organization where they were trying to work with all the local farmers and even do delivery right to your doorstep to combat that issue of not having a lot of that available. So I think that's really great. Um, going more into your product with Fork Farms, do you want to talk a little bit more like what is hydroponics for listeners that maybe not be might not be too familiar with the term? How does that work and what does it look like? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, hydroponics is growing food without soil. And not that we have anything against soil. Um, I think it's I think it's all really meaningful. It's all really important. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people hyper localize their food system and really make a meaningful impact at scale. Um, but for, uh, like a school, right. So think of like 
and 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 a lot of other locations too. It's not it's not it's not just schools, but just using that as the example for a second. You you know you think of your average elementary school is about 150 kids. Um, you need two or three of our systems, which is called the Flex Farm, and that school will never have to buy salad greens or herbs ever again. And so the goal, like what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people really fundamentally change their supply chain, but at this very decentralized scale, um, but in a way that makes a really meaningful impact. So when I started this work, I I was in New York and we started building a bunch of soil rooftop gardens for New York public schools. And it just didn't work because the kids aren't around during the summer. And it ended up being taken care of by a bunch of parent volunteers and, and teachers. And that just misses the point entirely. And so we said, hey, we have to bring this indoors. Well, soil indoors is tough because there's bugs and it's hard to clean. You have to you know, kind of truck the soil into the classroom and it's a mess. And that didn't really work. So we ended up having to go to hydroponics almost by necessity to get the student engagement in place. But, uh, you know, there wasn't we started using every technology that was out there and nothing was really working the way we needed it to. Either it was too small, you know, it was only 30, 40 plant spaces and it wasn't growing a volume of food to, to really feed the kids, or you, you almost needed a, a PhD in horticulture to run these things. I mean, they, it really took a lot to do the professional development with the teachers so that they could do the program. And it's just not scalable um, or sustainable. And there's been a big problem that's plagued the indoor farming, vertical farming industry since its inception, really. And that's around energy consumption. You know, when, when you're growing food indoors, typically you're not using any sunlight. So you're using artificial grow lights to do it. And that can be very energy intensive and, you know, not, you know, environmentally sustainable. And uh, we didn't want to do that either. And so I went on a, a three-year process, basically, where... Um, I was really focusing on energy use in in indoor farming and how do you get the energy consumption as low as possible to drop the cost of the food down, to make it, you know, more accessible basically to people. And um, it was around a decade ago now that I stumbled into this idea that if you drop the right kind of lights around the right kind of reflective surfaces and you optimize the, the distances and the ratios, um, you basically can recapture the energy within that system and utilize that recaptured energy in a really efficient way. And that made it where we dropped the energy requirement to grow food indoors by less than half of the industry standard. And so that really flipped the script and it made it where this is now a really sustainable solution where we can grow food and effectively pulling carbon out of the air compared to what, you know, traditional agriculture is doing. When you think about, you know, the, the carbon intensity of that platform and um, and it also really significantly, you know, increased the viability of this for a school where they're going to get farmer's market quality, organic pesticide, herbicide free stuff, but at the same price or cheaper than they're buying bagged iceberg lettuce that's being shipped 2000 miles. And so it created a really strong value proposition. And so what we do is we we now we don't really even view ourselves as a hydroponic equipment manufacturer or installation group. That's not at our core anymore what we do. Um, we see ourselves being about engagement and enablement. So what we do around the technology is really more important at this point than the technology itself. We think that fresh, affordable production at scale food on site, that's table stakes. 
for us, like all the curriculum that wraps around this and all the, the learning that we can provide around it, um, which for every partner that we have looks a little different is really where we step in and do a lot of work. So, um, you know, we provide a, a free with our technology a 44 lesson plan, really robust K through 12 curriculum. There's activities for nonprofits that are doing it. There's volunteer training stuff. There's entrepreneurial things. So if you want to grow and sell food, we show people how to do that. If you're going to do this in a healthcare setting, we have a, a joint commission approval What is what it's called. So we can get these into hospitals and uh, population health research. So depending on the impact that people are trying to make, we basically tailor our approach to theirs so we can elevate their work and have our our machine be the the best solution and the best vehicle to solve their problem. Wow, that's really great that you provide this kit that you mentioned where you provide not just the product, but like the, the know-how, how to do it. And if it's in schools, how would you put that into the curriculum for kids? So as we mentioned earlier, having them being connected to their food, but that's really fun for them to see the process of they have this device and you mentioned it's vertical. I know I got to see one in Green Bay. It's really great. So I'm sure kids enjoy watching it grow over time and then it's seeing it in their lunches. I mean, that's that's got to be great for them. Yeah, yeah. For the listeners that haven't seen it, it, it basically is the size, a little bit smaller than a standard refrigerator. So it's about three feet by three feet footprint, and then it's five and a half feet tall. Um, and all the plants grow in vertical walls facing a central light source. And the walls are reflective. And so that's how we get that light bouncing around in there. And um, when you open th this thing up, there's just basically a sea of green inside of it. And, um, and the plants grow really fast because we're optimizing nature's design, basically, in it. And we're giving them just the right amount of light, just the right amount of food, just the right amount of uh, water, things like that. And so they grow about twice as fast as they would outdoors. So in just four short weeks, you get full size heads of lettuce or big, bright, beautiful chard or basil, you know, big, big, fresh stock of basil, whatever you're growing. Um, and, uh, and it's really fun to watch because you really can, especially by that third week, you can almost watch the plants grow in real time. They're, they're growing so fast. That's amazing that it's twice as fast. That was my next question, how long it takes to grow like a head of lettuce. So four weeks, yeah, in traditional garden outside would take at least twice as long, maybe even longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can grow more than just lettuce. You know, we've, there's a lot that can be grown now. Um, historically, hydroponics, it was been a lot of leafy greens, uh, lettuces, spinach, things like that. And, and our system excels at that. So, and, and it's a wide range of crops, uh, herbs, any culinary herb, even rosemary and sage, tarragon, mint, uh, all that stuff. Um, but we're having people really successfully now do strawberries, cherry tomatoes, uh, peppers, baby cucumbers. Um, we've even had schools uh, play around with things like pumpkins and kumquats and apple tree starts and cloning different plants and, and all that. It works. Um, I don't think I would start a commercial pumpkin farm with these necessarily, <laughs> but, um, but, it, but it can be done, which I think is really, really fun. And it keeps the process really engaging when you keep trying different things. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I guess I always pictured it with the, the lettuces, the greens, but even a pumpkin, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't believe it, but they they let it kind of shine down by the front of it, and they they got a nice you know 
I would say volleyball size pumpkin. It's pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They'd have to like put it maybe in the middle on the ground. I'm trying to picture. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So with all that you've mentioned with Fork Farms and what you do in communities and schools, even hospitals, what do you want um, to give listeners? Like what is the main takeaway for the, the work that you do? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we believe that anybody can be a farmer. And if we don't take some really serious steps to rethink the way that we source food, we're going to be in trouble, I think. You know, if you think of the droughts that are happening out west right now, 95% of the food that we eat, the produce that we eat, is grown in Salinas Valley, California, or Yuma, Arizona. Um, And those aquifers right now are drying up, and there's not much of a plan on what the solution is, on what we're going to do. Um, on top of that, food on average travels 2,000 miles to get from seed to plate, and the population's growing globally. And so we know that by 2050, ag- the agricultural community globally is going to have to increase production by 70% just to keep up with population growth. But climate change right now is reducing crop yields, and we're expecting the crop yield reduction to be higher than 20% by 2050. And so what are we going to do, right? Um, And Americans right now, rich or poor, young or old, black or white, 60% of the calories that we eat is what the USDA deems ultra-processed. And ultra-processed foods are directly clinically linked to increased chronic disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, stroke, heart disease. Um, So the food we're eating is killing us access to the foods that aren't going to kill us is going to become significantly more difficult. And I think we need to really get serious about taking the power of food production into our own hands. And to do that, the solution is going to have to be really easy to use. It's going to have to be really accessible for a lot of people, and it's going to have to produce really high quality food that's affordable. And, and we figured out a way to do it. And so we're just trying to build awareness around it and um, find folks that think like we do and and be partners with them. I think the one big miss that we've seen is folks who are in the agriculture technology space. They um, they they're they're about product, right? They're not about people. And I think at the end of the day, if you're going to help people rethink the way that they engage with food. You have to meet them where they are because food is so personal to all of us. It has a deeply rooted cultural heritage. It has significant implications when you think about, you know, their people's personal relationship to their own health and people's relationship to their own identity. And I think food is really wrapped up in all that. So we need to be careful and we need to be um, respectful and we need to be thinking about justice at the core because right now the food system that we have breeds incredible inequities. And so as we do this work, we have to do that with that being at the forefront. We can't have it be about how do we sell as many hydroponic systems as we can, because that is going to lead to a food system that looks very similar to the one that we currently have, which isn't acceptable and is only going to make things worse. And so how do we think about the way that we do our work that's about empowerment, and dignity, and really bringing as much value as we can based on how other people define value, not how we define value. 
And I think that's hard work to do. And you have to be really intentional about it if you're going to do it right. And that's something that we're every day thinking about and trying to get better and better and better at. And really what it looks like at the end of the day is we we need to be there with them and really know the folks that we're working with and build a business that responds to the needs that our partners are identifying at the core. And so for us, what that's looked like so far is, you know, teachers, they want to grow food and they want to feed kids, but to engage the kids, they need the lessons and they need the support to do that. Or they need somebody that they can call if they want to know how to grow strawberries and don't know how to do that. Right. And believe it or not, knowing else is doing something that simple where, if you call us, like we will answer the phone and we will answer your questions and we're not going to charge you for that, right? Like it seems so simple, but nobody is doing it. And, you know, it's, it's, it seems silly um, because there are so many people out there that they just, they see the problem and they just want something that they can do. Like they want to find a way that they can help this massive climate change problem that we're all facing. And they want, they want to feel like they're part of the solution we want to be like a group that you can call and actually feel like you have a partner in that work that we're not just trying to sell you something. And at the core, like we are going to help you create impact and that's why we exist. Um, and in the world we live in right now, it's, it's hard to people. It's hard to make people believe that we actually are doing that, frankly, because I think, um, you know, we've, we, we've lost ourselves a little bit, I think. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to be one of the good guys, I'd say. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it where you're putting person over profit. So you're definitely in line with a lot of the, you know, organizations that are business for good, I would definitely say. I put you in that category. Are you guys a B Corp yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it. We're still really young, right? We're in our fifth year and um, there's 25 people on our team, but we're growing really fast. And so I think it's one of those things that, that we just need to get the application in. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely um, many steps. And yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at all the different facets of your company, whether it's your waste, your energy usage, your transportation, and it's, it's all of that. But um yeah, I think I definitely think that it sounds like you're aligned with that completely with your business goals and how you're being very intentional with your customers. You're creating this almost like a family unit, it sounds like, where you're the support system for the product you're offering as a full service as well. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't matter if you're a school that wants to grow and sell food or if you're a food pantry that wants to use the food for some sort of maybe you know, a diabetic support program, um, which to us is, is more about uh, what aligned to our population health programming, but we don't care, right? Any of the information that we have, we share, and we try to align the right information and content to the ultimate use case that people are, are developing and empower that and enable that. And and create opportunities to share. And so for us, community building and community connectivity is at, is at the root of really good social justice work. And so how we connect our partners together, how we connect them to other community resources and create a network around 
food and food systems, I think is a big part of how we do our work. Um, so where we spend our time as a team uh, is is usually not even on the hydroponics, right? It's, it's around all the things that surround the hydroponics. And um, and I think that's a key takeaway, right? Is that there's there's so much opportunity and it's such a deep rabbit hole once you start thinking about all the potential that work like this has when you really start feeding communities and and, and flipping the script a little bit on, on how it currently works. Yeah, and I know we talked about both sustainability and wellness as well, but it sounds like with your your company, you can really change the face of what, what wellness looks like in these communities where they have access to better food. And it's really a ripple effect, right? If everyone is eating better, then, you know, healthcare will be less needed. And I mean, there's many, many things that will just ripple, ripple from that. Um, so in, in your perspective, what does wellness mean to you, I guess, as a concept or a word? Yeah. Um, well, I think the role we play in wellness to your earlier point is, you know, we're, we're a piece of a big pie, right? I think we're, we're one of many needed solutions. Um, personally, I think wellness for me is, I try to keep it as holistic as possible, right? It's, it's mind, body and spirit. Um, and I think for me, it's a, it's a practice, right? It's not something that you ever perfect in my opinion. Um, and, and we're trying to layer in that type of thinking, um, across everything that we do. Right. So the way that we think about the business, right. Thinking about it in a, you know, it's a practice and we're trying to make the, the company as, uh, holistically developed as possible. Um, and the same way that we encourage our team development, right? Like we want people to be, um, coming to a space that they feel safe and they can bring their full authentic self and that they can lead with vulnerability. That's something that we talk about a lot is how do we create space for vulnerability within the business so that people feel safe to really say what they're thinking and not feel like they're going to be punished or they're going to not get that promotion or that raise or, or whatever they aspire to because they shared. And I think that we've taken an approach that we're asking people to share and we're actually saying, Hey, the people that, that are helping us build that cultural of safety and, and transparency are the ones that we're going to elevate and the ones that we're going to really, um, you know, lift up. Um, that's the modality that we're trying to set. And I think through that, we're trying to build a, a culture within the business that, that, creates space for people to be able to bring their personal development to work in a real way. That's not just about professional development, but also about personal development, because I think those two things actually go hand in hand. The more ego you bring to the business and the more predispositions you bring to the business, the less room for creativity there is and the less room there is for mental plasticity, right? And the ability to be nimble and to think on your feet and to grow quickly and to move quickly. And I think that all those traits are going to help the business move quickly and be nimble and, and iterate and, and grow and, and, and stay really closely connected to customer needs, um, which is ultimately going to be what makes us successful. Um, so I think that we can, we can create a way to, um, to really, make a business case for wellness um, and, and lead with that and have that be front and center. So in addition to 
the the form of wellness that you're trying to create for your employees, for your company, and for your customers alike. Are there any wellness or sustainable rituals that you do daily or weekly that you would encourage listeners to try? I mean, personally, I I've tried to get better at and this is just how I think personally, you know, making sure that I've compartmentalized time for the different activities that I think I need to do um, to support my personal wellness. So making sure that I carve out time for running, that's how I like to exercise, right? You know, so making sure I take, you know, get out on a run at least a couple times a week, right? Um, you know, thinking about what I'm eating, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm running this fresh food company that's trying to help people eat better. And I, you know, I sometimes slip into junk food just like anybody, right? And so how do I create space for that in my life? And how do I create space for, you know, connecting with my kids and my wife and my family and just making sure that, um, you know, that I'm being intentional about all these things. And um, I think at the end of the day, that's where the whole practice concept comes into place. Like I never feel like I am perfect with it all, but I can feel good about the fact that I'm at least thinking about it and creating space for it. And when I slip, making sure that I remind myself to come back. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of like how the Buddha taught meditation. Um, and and this is how I was taught to meditate, actually. So I, I'm hoping that this was how I was told, at least he taught people. So um, it's this old idea that when your mind drifts, you know, to a, to a thought, that you just bring yourself back to your breathing, right? And, and, and your mind is going to drift, right? And, and you can't punish yourself for drifting, right? But the key is just to keep coming back. And it's that discipline. Um, and I think for me, that's the muscle that I try to work um, over time. And uh, I think the same applies for the company too, right? You, it's about discipline. It's not about perfection. We can't punish people if they're not perfect. We, I think we just need to make sure that people are learning and we create a culture of learning. And, and if people aren't learning, I think then we can hold them accountable to not learning because I think that's unacceptable when people choose to not learn and they, they make mistakes and they choose to just keep doing it the same way over and over again. Like that makes no sense. Um, so if we see that type of behavior, then we know we need to intervene, but uh, it's not the type of company where if you screw something up, you get fired, right? Like that's, that's not healthy. I don't think. That sounds great. It made me think, are you hiring? <laughs> sounds like you create a really great, uh, environment. <laughs> we are actually. So you are in here, your listeners, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to yeah, sounds like, yeah, you have such a great work environment and yeah, I like that visual you gave about like a muscle discipline muscle that you learn from meditation and daily yeah. life. Um, yes, meditation is not easy. I struggle with my mind is in 10 places all the time. So that's, yeah, a good visual. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. It's, it's just easy for people to punish themselves, right? And I think part of wellness is that self-care, right? That mental care where you have to accept yourself and, and just – be your own best advocate. And it's so hard to do that in today's day and age where social media and, you know, everything's right in front of you and you just feel like you need to be so many things to so many people. Yep. It's overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> Definitely agree. So in addition to your daily rituals, do you have a personal mantra or maybe a theme song that gets you into a good state of mind or redirects your mindset to a good place? Yeah. I love this question. 
Um, for me, I, I've had this thing I've had to repeat to myself over the years and it's helped me a lot. And I almost got it tattooed like, you know, on my hand. So I would see it every day. I I hadn't (laughs) done that yet, but, um, and it's really simple. It's this whole idea of talk less, listen more. And I think that the culture that we're in is one where we feel like we need to communicate and be heard and everyone loves to be heard. And I think the real power is when you really, truly listen, that's hard to do. And I am not great at it all the time, but I think what I've learned is that the more I listen, the, the more settled I become. And, you know, and if you think about this in the context of wellness, like I think if I listen to myself and if I listen to my body more intently, um, I'm better at the discipline. And if I listen to those around me, I'm, I'm a better, um, leader and, and colleague and father and husband and, um, and, and talking, you know, I think, you know, maybe you get what you want, but sometimes, I don't know if we really know what we want and if we listen a little bit more, we will. And so it's such a simple thing, but it's done a lot for me over the years. That's very wise. I really like that. And I think sometimes if you're talking or discussing with someone, you're maybe excited because you have a connection with someone and you want to share your life story with them. But but you're right. It is good to pull back a little bit and you know, let them have their their thoughts too and have a nice kind of back and forth but that's really solid advice thank you for that <laughs> for what it's worth <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly how can listeners reach you yeah so if you're interested in our work we'd love to talk to you doesn't mean you need to buy anything from us we just like talking to people that are interested in this space and have curiosity. The easiest way to do that is to go to the website. I think it's really simple, forkfarms.com. On there, there's a bunch of phone numbers and emails. You can, however you prefer to connect, there's a way to connect with us. Um, And if you call during regular business hours um, on central time, somebody will will answer the phone um, or get back to you very quickly. So it's always real people at the end of the line. Um, we are also on social. You can find us on, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff um, at Twitter. Uh, so love connecting with people, love building community around this and um, and yeah, love meeting like minded people. Perfect. I'll be sure to have the links and all that information on the podcast notes. And thank you so much for your time today and sharing your great story and your mission. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me.